All right. Well, we'll get we'll get started, uh, and we'll just we'll just start talking. So, welcome, John. Appreciate you coming on to the Design Intent and having a conversation with us about design and some of the things that you're doing. Uh, I've met you through a mutual friend, and uh, he thought it would be a good idea to maybe talk to you, and and I agreed. I think you come at the design world from an interesting perspective you've seen a lot change you're still a practicing designer and you're a professor and so um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of a, a brief history of your background and, and where you're teaching and some of the things that you're doing right now yeah so i i'm actually a uh, graduate of the college for creative studies and uh, i graduated in the late 70s and then uh, went to work for Steelcase out of school wanted to work in europe in the early 80s there, and uh, uh, had a job lined up over there, and then the economy went soft, and uh, it, it, it fell through because of it. And uh, so I ended up working with Hayworth. They were a young company at the time, really, for a, from a design standpoint. They were pretty established with sales products they had, but they really wanted to get into product development. So I, I ended up sticking with that and going to work with them as kind of a partial consultant where I'd go over part of the week and work with them and take work back home. And, uh, and I, you know, through that, I established a number of clients within the furniture industry and exhibits. And, uh, and I always did architectural renderings. I did whatever I could take uh, and get um, as far as a young person to, to be, you know, to establish a, a consulting practice. And uh, so it worked out pretty well. It allowed me to have my summers to travel over to Europe and, uh, and do some uh, exploring for, for quite a while. And uh, so from that, it led to me, you know, develop, really developing my practice where I could, uh, could well, develop a, a piece from concept all the way to a prototype. And uh, so that's kind of what I've stuck with. And... In the mid-80s, I also went to work as an adjunct uh, professor at College for Creative Studies, where I had the pleasure of having a, a number of really wonderful students that have uh, had super success and, uh, and have become, you know, lifetime friends, really. So uh, I feel fortunate to have had that dynamic of uh, doing both. And so I've kind of maintained it over the years, or recently, just over the last uh, year and a half, I've gone on full-time as a professor at the school, um, which is which has worked out great. So uh, anyway, I, I'm down there quite a bit anyways, so I, I enjoy it. So the, uh, the mix between uh, being a professional and, and an educator is really nice, because you, you tend to, it tends to keep you on your toes. Um, and it also keeps you current with software and technique and uh, positions that are out there. Uh, and I'm sure you've experienced that when you, you know, talk to young designers, uh, too, and bring them through for interviews or internships. Uh, it's refreshing. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's always interesting to see what, what the younger designers are working on and what they see is important and what, what is relevant to them. And trying to, um, I guess, forecast what their needs might be, at, you know, having them on staff or, or working with them. Um, I know Dan, you know, Dan, you've hired, you've had a lot of younger designers sure. on your staff over the years. So Dan's probably 
uh, a little bit more versed with some of the younger crowd than than myself. I this year, I've 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 got uh, nine staff, and, which includes one intern, and so it's been quite refreshing to have that sort of new outlook, uh, kind of working working with me. Um, I certainly appreciate it because they bring a little bit of vigor back into the studio uh, compared to the guys that are like, you know, in their 40s and cracking 50. Uh, so it's nice. It kind of keeps I think it, it keeps everybody um, relevant and keeps them all on their toes. So it's always good to have fresh talent coming in. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I remember being a, a individual right out of school and it was a little bit disappointing to see everybody go home at five o'clock and not kind of have a. Uh, you know, a drive for the profession as much outside, you know. And so, uh, you know, certainly as you get older, you have families and other commitments outside of uh, work. So you don't realize that when you're young, those those will happen and come. But uh, but the drive as an individual when you're younger is, is, uh, is great because you're exploring. And I know the ability to travel really helped me because I... Uh, it allowed me to broaden my environment, uh, which was, yeah. I thought, you know, beneficial. Yeah, I've got a, uh, actually, I was just thinking about this the other day. So, um, so as you've been, you know, currently you're doing, uh, you're a full-time uh, professor, and you it sounds like you've been doing it for quite some time. Um, in, obviously, with the most recent pandemic, how do you feel that has affected, let's say, design education. Um, you know, we, we've talked previously about, you know, how industrial design is a little different in that it's more difficult to actually to, to do design work and collaboration remotely just because of, I guess, the, the tactility of what we do and, and that sort of thing. So how has that translated into design education? Is it, do you find it more difficult or have you had to adjust and do things differently? Or, or maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a that's a really, that's a really good, good question. question. We we actually transitioned quite well back in the spring when this first came on, and uh, uh, of course we used remote learning through Zoom, and uh, and it's worked terrific. Uh, I have to say, now certainly it's never as tactile like you refer to as because because if you're building models or study models, or you're doing demonstrations, um, or you're trying to show somebody a specific task or skill. It is. It can be difficult, but it also allows us to uh, to go and have one-on-one -on -one conferencing with students. And uh, and a lot of times, designers um, like ourselves might work in the evenings, even late. Sometimes some of us are late nighters. I still have that habit from from the college days. So uh, so we can go on on an independent conference. And, and I can show how to improve a sketch or how to uh, how you might improve a design by just reviewing it with a screen share or demonstrate software too. Sure. So uh, okay. So while there are downsides, I, I'm pretty amazed, and I think it will be a part of our future education. Uh, you know, I kid. We had a snow day this week, and we actually we took the day off. But certainly, I could have met with any of the students. Um, you know. And maybe we're for due that we'll never have a snow day again. Because, oh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you, you yeah. feel like a, um, it, you, you've been able to um, compensate is not the right word, but 
continue with the quality education with the tools that we have and 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 then obviously found additional positives out of it. Yeah, you know, I have one student, he's in Korea, and he didn't come over because of the, you know, the pandemic and all. And, yeah. And uh, so I was on with him for about an hour this oh, morning. Oh, wow, okay. I go, on, I go on once or twice a week, usually for half hour to an hour with him, and I can, I can really give him uh, independent um, uh, guidance, and, and, he's, and there's a, a language skill, too, that he has to improve upon. So I have to say that that's uh, been advantageous, and then I have independent studies with students that they might be they might be out on a, even an internship or out of town, and I think I think the remote learning is is definitely has its advantages. Uh, certainly, we're our facility is an amazing facility at the school. We have I think it's next to none worldwide with what we have in the way of uh, uh, oh tools and facilities, uh, classrooms, uh, you know, from, from every discipline within the, within the institution. So, so being there is, is ideal. You know, I, I, my daughter's in uh, fashion accessories there, graduating soon, and my son's in product design. So to be able to use the shop there or the sewing machines and cutters and and all is um, certainly an advantage. So uh, uh, we are really pushing to be on campus as a school, and we, and, you know, we do believe for our type of education, it's important. Um, so, but some of the academics have really switched to uh, being online, and it's worked out terrific. Uh, so okay. it, just, it just depends. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how. Um, you know, the traditional university environment or the traditional university setting is, is, is as you think about, um, you know, what probably the three of us were used to, you know, going somewhere, schlepping across country, um, you know, getting in a dorm versus what is what the potential is today. Uh, and and I, I, I do see as much as I don't necessarily like all the time working at home, I, I do like being around people, but I do see an advantage as, uh, as an educator in that you can touch more people. Uh, and as a student or someone, you can seek out an individual uh, versus being relegated to that particular university that you might be in. You know, you, you have an opportunity to really go and find uh, all the information that you want to go and find and find the people to, uh, to teach you. Um, and I'm wondering, yeah, I, I, sorry. I, I, I think um, what, oh no, no, that's a good thought too. I think, uh, cause, cause again, like I had a student reach out to me the other evening that I normally might be in and out of school or I wouldn't have a chance. And he reached out to me and we could, you know, we could go on a remote, um, conference and I could speak to him about a project you know this is a student who wasn't my student but he but he knew I was into furnishings you know let's say so uh, it does offer a unique opportunity where you can uh, um, use your time even your 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 off hours more easily yeah yeah, maybe maybe that's a disadvantage for some people they don't get the downtime and we do see that because of the uh, you know, we think about our past, 
when you when you had to communicate with somebody, you sent a letter, and then pretty soon there was the fax machine and right. FedEx, and then email, so people can demand things like immediately. Right. And so uh, for individuals, we don't have that sort of lag or downtime like we used to, and I think that that can be pretty exhausting too. Yeah, how do we, the balance, how do we get the balance back? Uh, before it was a pretty easy shutdown, everybody went home at five or six, and now it's a 24 hour, uh, basically business is 24 hours, there's no, there's no, I mean, you, you have students overseas, so they're, if they're in Korea, they're That's what, 12 hours, 13 hours ahead of you? Yeah, it might even be 14. I think it's 14 with this, this gentleman. gentleman. Yeah, so I've got staff that's 14 hours ahead of me uh, and uh-huh. and tons of people that I work with that, that are that far ahead. I mean, things are always happening. I mean, you, you can you can work nonstop if you really wanted to. Uh, so you really have to. So do you find you have conferences real early in the morning or late in the evening? Both. Yeah, uh-huh. both. Both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, same here. And then I, you know, the when COVID, COVID first, first hit, I had some students head back to California too, where I was speaking to them. You know, they were they were having to get up quite early to be part of our class. Do you uh, have you had to uh, in, in terms of adjusting to the whole uh, online thing? Have have you found any new tools other than conferencing that you use specific to let's say reviewings? You know, if if a student says, "Hey, here's a a number of concepts that I have and I'd like to get your feedback and you want to talk about them. Are there any specific tools that you think work best for that kind of a thing? Or maybe you can, uh, yeah, and you know, it'd be interesting to talk to you about this because, yeah. you know, I certainly, I bought a remote camera right away and they were hard to get. I had to buy it off a of Craigslist because they were impossible to get. So I used that for, you know, sketching yeah. and that. But then I also use PowerPoint, Keynote, and Google Slides mm-hmm. frequently because then a student can upload their work in one of those programs, whichever one they're comfortable with, and then I can always review it, um, download it as a PDF, or I can make comments below, or work even simultaneously with them on it if it's if it's in slides. So then uh, you know I can work with graphics mm-hmm. and. Uh, how to enhance the presentation with different type and mm-hmm. size of type and placement. So, uh, so that's, that's been a pretty nice tool. And then of course with CAD software, uh, if there's any type of mutual learning that we do, um, we can go on and bring up a program and, uh, and do screen shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's advantageous. Last semester I worked with the transportation department at our school. And uh, we had um, kind of a simultaneous project with uh, product and transportation for UNESCO, which is, you know, uh, Detroit's a city of design uh, designated by UNESCO. Hmm. And so we did a project all about mobility that will actually travel to France in a, in a couple months here and be shown over there. Uh, so it was, again, advantageous where we could go on and look at the uh, video feed, because this is all done in a video um, presentation, and, uh, and then we could discuss improvements, and we could go on as the two classes together, and the professors, and then we could have also uh, mutual conferencing with outside professionals 
which was which was advantageous too, where they normally might have to come in sure. to the school, and and it's hard to get their schedule to to mesh with ours, and uh, so that was a huge benefit that we could get some really powerhouse individuals to join in on, hmm. uh, on our critiques. So I think that that has a a, a really big benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I've joined a couple of critiques for um, for SCAD, and it was uh, it was really nice, and it was uh, a lot of fun for me, uh, and it was great. I didn't have to travel. Um, you hop online, hop on a Zoom call, and uh, the, the students were pretty disciplined with their time as far as you know what what they were presenting, and give an opportunity to give some feedback and some kind of practical feedback, at least from a professional point of view, to the students. I know that they appreciate that. Um, and so that that's that, that's one nice thing about this sort of remote. It really allows you to go anywhere and kind of participate in many, many different things that maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't have thought of prior to this. Yeah, no, no, I think it's I think it will be with us in, in a certain context. Now we uh the first year at school, it's really nice when students are there because I, I teach a model making class as well, and uh, so it's advantageous that they can be there and learn how to use, uh, you know, a table saw or a, right. uh, or a lathe. Those would be really hard skills to feel. Right, right. <laughs> okay, everybody, get your camera. Go out in your view. Go out in your garage. Get the table saw out. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Uh, so I'm a big advocate for being right there and watching them as they do it sure. and showing them firsthand. And, uh, and you know, because there's nothing like learning those skill sets early on so you can take them with you right. throughout your uh, education and certainly with your career. I always explain that a lot of us design people, and I know I'm certain you're probably the same, both of you, where you probably work on your homes. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> and pretty we, handy. I think it's... It, yeah, it's inherent in our uh, in us as individuals because sure. we, we did it so much in school with yeah, you know, learning yeah. tools. So uh, yeah, I mean that's that's funny. That's true. I mean, there's things that happen all the time where for me it's just sort of I don't think about it. But you know, the other day I was uh, there's a piece of the vacuum that I have that broke off, and I you know it was just like oh let me grab some. I think it was uh, like Bondo or something, right? Let me just mix up a little bit and I'll sort of form what was on there back on and sand yeah. it smooth and okay, done, keep going. You know, within yeah. an hour it was done and, and you know, I guess that basically comes a lot from, you know, the school training where you're doing that with mock-ups and things. So. Yeah. Well, just sort of fixing things, yeah. right? And I think that's that's always good because you know, because you know how things get made, uh, you tend to want to fix it and modify it or do whatever like i'm i've got to fix something on my stovetop at home and they don't sell the parts so i'm just going to fabricate it with some material that i can buy and put it on there and the wife's like well, i don't know you know she's skeptical of course but uh, like you won't notice that it's any different but it'll <laughs> it, it won't it'll 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 work trust me but it, it's uh it's nice to have that kind of uh thinking in, uh, in your mind uh, I don't, I don't, I think our, our standard sort of method of operation as a society is to just, well, we'll just get a new one, buy it, buy it, just buy another one uh, instead of wearing something out or fixing it, repairing, modifying. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, that, that brings up another uh, element of design, too, with, with products and renewability and lifespan, the, the design, the appearance should match the lifespan of the product. Yeah. And how is it renewed? Do you, you certainly, I, I'm sure, look at your products and how they're disassembled at their end of life. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're looking at everything and, and it's even it's starting to ramp up even more now. I can't go into a lot of details, but but uh, it's if you. You'll see more coming from us uh, as a company, um, just it, it, yeah. it's, it's nice. It's nice that we're starting to think that way, you know, and it's starting to it's not just one group kind of saying, Hey, you know, we, we need to think about this. It's everybody's starting to kind of say, okay, you know, we're all in this together. We all need to be a little bit more smarter about the materials that we're choosing and, and why we choose those materials versus other materials and, and the, 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 the gain that you may get of one over another uh, from a sustainability point of view, from remanufacturing, can we re recycle it into some other parts? Um, Design for disassembly. As we start looking at, uh, you've heard probably Dell talk about PC as a service. That's another one where we take the machines back and, and refurbish and and you reuse them again for another group that would that could use it. So uh, it's it's a oh, yeah, it's great. coming online uh, much more much more frequently now yeah. for us. So in my, you know, my professional practice, I've over the years primarily designed furnishings for upscale furnishings for res or for uh, contract. Some of it could move over into the residential area, but it's it's and typically for you know offices. Uh, oh, you know, I did some seating recently that is for restaurants. So so we look at components and and carbon footprint too. You know whether the the parts are coming from overseas. Uh, there, it's a, that could be a carbon um, negative, or right. if the certain process of plating that could be a carbon negative. So it just depends uh, how much goes into it uh, with transportation and and manufacturing that creates the the footprint. So uh, so that at the end of the day, the products do get assigned a, a number. And, and certain establishments, such as education facilities especially, are looking at that footprint when they purchased, too. So, uh, so there's an advantage to having a, a lower carbon footprint right. product. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's coming on a lot of bids uh, for us as well. It's a, it's, a, it's a bid spec. You know, you either get boxed out of a bid or you don't. Uh, and if you meet yeah, the requirements, then you're able to sell to those particular companies. Uh huh. That's that's interesting because I I didn't think about that so much for electronics, but I, I could see that's a good thing. Though. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a good thing. I mean, I I think the only thing that that uh, so we're going through this process that which is really good, and and you know we're talking about uh, and when I say we, I just mean us people in general, not not speaking for Dell. Yes. But you know, we're talking about like you know, are we? Uh, is there a circular material? So say we're designing something that we know will eventually fail, uh, can we then take those materials and recycle them back into something else? Um, and, and we talk about the sustainability and, and how things are put together and, and carbon footprint and all that. But the one, the one topic that I feel many people are missing is the sustainability of the human and the, uh, the, the 
we, we talk about work-life balance as professionals. We talk about work-life balance as sort of a white-collar, from a white-collar perspective. But we don't necessarily talk about that sustainability of the human in terms of like the conditions where these things are being made. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, you, since the 90s, you can buy fair trade coffee or fair trade cough, uh, uh, chocolate. But are, what about the other things that we're buying fair trade wise? You know, I know you can look into some companies and see the factories that they're using. They put some highlights on where they are or the types of people that they're hiring. But I, in my opinion, it's not deep enough and it's not wide enough. And I, and I really hope that um, people start to look into that as well, because it's, it's not just, you know, a balance for us as humans, you know, as we live here uh, in the U.S. and Texas and in Michigan, but the rest of the world, you know, the people that are building these things that are for us. Um, you know, yeah, I are, think that's a good, a good point is that, you know, is that, uh, is it on the back of another individual or right. you know, their work conditions were really difficult? I, I know with, certainly with uh, plating and finishing and casting and some of those industries, they've moved offshore because it's, it's not a, you know, it's not pleasant to do. No. And, and so, uh, so really, is it, is it fair to shelter that on other people? So I, I understand what you're saying. And then, you know, uh, robots are, are taking some of that now, yeah. uh, fortunately, uh, robotics you know, uh, for some finishing. Yeah. And then, of course, we're discovering processes, too, uh, you know, uh, new methods of making and plating and finishing uh, that are pretty quite durable. Right. Uh, and lighter weight, pretty strong. Uh, you know, some of the engineered polymers are amazing that we now use in furnishings, too, because the the longevity of life is good, and there's there's actually not a finish on it, so you don't have to worry about it chipping. And then the weight, of course, is really good for for uh, shipping, and. Uh, and and, the, and then they're flexible too. They're, you know, the failure rate is is maybe less because there is some flexibility in the material. When it fails, uh, it, it takes more. So uh, it, it is a it's a compromise, I think, though, uh, for what we use and what we look at. No, for sure. Uh, hey, I wanted to kind of circle back to the education because you've been in, involved in education and in practice for, for so long. Um, back to the idea of how we're all kind of remote and that there's going to be some future hybrid. Do you foresee a new type of university to get sprouted that is not based in any one location that is a network of individuals that are um, excellent at what they do, that are able to provide um, excellent guidance to any, anybody that wants to learn design or any other, any other field for that matter, um, and, and be considered credible um, to the outside world, you know, c credible to the big corporations and the small industry that would need to hire them. Yeah, you know that's, that's a, we were talking about that in class yesterday, and uh, and to some degree of 
how will it be in the future? Are, are, is there is there almost like a trade school or trade classes that you could go to in effect? I mean, we've put we've put a lot of value in a degree today, so uh, so it's hard to say if you were just going to be a uh, uh, a UX developer or a or a particular software uh, skilled individual. I think that could work quite well, but uh, for a more rounded education. And, and certainly getting a degree uh, has been a valued part of most companies. Uh, so so it's, it'll be an interesting dynamic as, as things evolve. Certainly that it, that's exists for a number of years though now where you could go online mm -hmm. and, and get educated in a certain uh, software or field, but uh, I suppose it might be where, you know, we've had some students that uh, didn't place in a position, so they went back to school to learn specifically, uh, oh, maybe alias. And then from their alias education, they were picked up to do surfacing, class A surfacing with, a, you know, with one of the OEMs, the automotive companies. Right. So, uh, so the principal degree that they had, they didn't. They use, but not specific, like they use the alias training. Right. So, uh, uh, I guess with the price of education, it does prohibit some individuals from participating. But uh, I know our institution works really hard so that we can get, you know, so that we can get anybody who wants our type of education involved. You know. And, uh, Okay. So okay. higher learning, you know, in the future, will there be possibly two-year degrees uh, that might have more specific to uh, to a task? I think you could we could see that. Right. Yeah. I just I just wonder how you know with the price of college and, and what we're paying for the kids to be in school, uh, you know, if there's a, another way for them to learn. Um, I think the the hard part, at least from design, you know, kind of to your point of the making models and that sort of thing, that's that's where you start getting tricky. Is is how do you how do you sort of teach those things uh, where you're not side by side, uh, but certainly like drawing and, and design theory and just design proportions and sort of principles of design can be done virtually. Yeah, you know, there's a certain catalyst when we're on campus where the students are all together mm -hmm. that, you know, I think you had brought up earlier that, you know, we're social. Right. And, uh, and that social element of all being together is, is pretty cool. And to share ideas amongst one another and have a good laugh. And, uh, and you know, last night I left school kind of late. We had we had some pizza together and hung out. We distanced, you know, in the room, and uh, and one of the other professors and I, and and we had a good dialogue about design and what they were working on. And these were seniors, so it's it's. Uh, I think there's some really terrific elements of being there that you, you just can't get sure. otherwise. Right. And, uh, I, I know with my own kids, I'm I'm elated with uh, them being seniors and and hearing about the opportunities they have through the school that they've already interviewed with that are just amazing companies and companies that we've all all know of 
too. So I'm, and I see that with our others, you know, not just my own kids, but all the students. So I'm, uh, so I really believe in the foundation of, you know, what we, what we're uh, giving to students uh, as an education. So, uh, so what? Uh, but, there, but there are some uh, people who will benefit from maybe going to a community college uh, for an associate's degree, and then and then moving on to higher learning uh, beyond that. If, if and then they it gives them the chance to maybe window shop too, what they might want to do, uh, because it's um, you know unless you really know that you're kind of in this art and design field. It's hard to make that decision, that lifetime decision, early on. Uh, taking a class or two really helps. Yeah. Okay. So what what advice? You're, you're now you're uh, it's your daughter, uh, correct, Tony? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. No, I have a daughter. So John's got two kids in design school, and oh, you've got. Yeah. I've got one. Dan has kids in college as well. Just not in design. Uh, none, none in design. Mine's in industrial design at University of Houston. And uh, uh, she's a sophomore, so uh, she's, you know, plugging away, head down. She's at, on campus, um, so I, I, I know she's enjoying it, but I also know uh, from being in her shoes at one point that it's, it's a challenge and it's, a, uh, it's quite a culture shock from uh, high school, uh, probably for all the kids. It's a big culture shock getting into design school and, and, and the rigors of, of what professors do and the 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 reviews the design reviews and the critiques and all those sorts of things can be a little overwhelming yeah it's a lot of work it is a lot of work and and uh you know individuals in our field unfortunately you have to kind of toughen your skin up a little bit <laughs> because critiques are part of sure. the uh, profession you know and, and to some degree that never that never ends so uh, anyways yeah, so, you know, in my own uh, professional practice, though, I, I, uh, I, I start with sketches and go all the way through a, a final prototype most, most often. And uh, so it's been advantageous to be able to do study models, too, not just a final prototype, but, but kind of development models. Sure. And so... Uh, you know, that's another skill that, you know, I push in particular, and we do too at the institution. Uh, because in the, ultimately, as designers, and I, I'm certain you go through this, that the final outcome is a, is a three-dimensional product. Uh, we're not designing software. Uh, we may be doing the UX or the UI portion, uh, which can be more cognitive, but the Product design is typically physical, and so the sooner we can get into something tangible to feel, uh, it really helps. Do you go through, you must go through that with your laptops and sizing and uh, the fit and finish and the, how it might be held. And oh, yeah. We build tons of models. Uh, it, it's a constant yeah. process. Yeah, we're always building models, and it's the only way we can sell it to the executives. Renderings just don't, they're not going to write a check for $10 million on based on renderings. It's, it's just not, it's just not going to be, it's just not going to Are they work. typically, uh, you know, Renshade milled models or are they uh, vacuum formed or do you actually 
cast them or? Uh, no, they're CNC, yeah, full CNC. Um, yeah, billet aluminum yeah. or even or both materials. Yeah, yeah, plastic of, and metal. Yeah, plastic and metal. I mean, we make them look just about as real as they can be. Um, about, I'd say, all about ninety five percent there of being photo ready. So it's very, oh, very close great. to being photo ready. And sometimes we make models that actually have batteries in them and working screens and things, the lights that might come on depending on, you know, the, the model. Like the guys that are doing the, the alias designs, they'll typically have a lot of lighting involved with the designs. And so they'll build models that have lighting to, to kind of show what it's going to do, which which is um, you know, interesting also. So uh, it, it just depends really on, on what what we're trying to show, what we're doing, but we build lots of models, a lot of partial models, form models. Sometimes we're just doing models to check surfaces. Um, so it might just be one one cover, like the back cover of a the display back of a notebook. We might build models of that just just to check the surface quality. Um, yeah, all, all kinds of models. Sometimes we're just doing dummy foam core things just to check proportions and screen size. Just just as a quick. Uh, going through yeah. a, a 13 inch versus a 13.1 versus a 13.3 you know what what are they what's the differences mm -hmm. between the two and so you want something kind of one-to-one -one that we can just hold up next to an actual system to, to just kind of compare proportions and then you must weight them too sometimes oh, yeah. just yeah. to we have yeah. to weight them yeah we have to weight them we we long time ago we built some models and we just had them made and we weren't weighting them and they were um, a little lighter than the actual thing and when the real product came out it was heavier and so one of the executives was very uh, upset about this and so from that point on you know we would we would weigh them have them weighted by the model builders in fact some of our executives would even challenge the weight of the model that we would have written on the model and they would ask <laughs> us for a scale and we put it on a scale to just double check because you know your hands and your eyes kind of play tricks on you so you it, it's really important to have it exactly the way it, it's going to come out yeah i see so, so you know with a i design a lot of seating and with seating it's really advantageous to have some sort of uh you know it could be a study model or what we refer to it as a a buck model where you can um, sit in the the seating um it's kind of a constructed chair, but it doesn't have a visual appearance. And, and that particular chair then becomes kind of the sit model for how, how the feel will be, and then, and then a visual model on how it will look. And uh, so, so with that, you know, we can then decide um, the, you know, the physical dynamics and then the human factors, let's say, and then the the appearance. So, uh, if we can do both in the prototype, that's advantageous too. But we might not get to that until more towards the end when parts are getting actually manufactured. Right. So I've also found that scale models are pretty advantageous too, because it can sell a concept. Yeah. Uh, without going into a, you know a really in depth development of bending tube and welding and, uh, and vacuum forming and printing where we could print a small scale model or hand make a scale model and get a pretty good feel for for the appearance uh, so I do quite a bit of that 
in in my studio. Interesting. Pretty adverse to or pretty. I have a pretty well-versed studio to uh, put together, um, you know, welded parts to tube bending to vacuum forming, and of course I have a lot of uh, woodworking equipment too. So, so I can, uh, oh, I guess you know, create the appearance model so it almost looks like the real thing when it's photographed. Hmm. But you're doing it at a smaller scale, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah if it's exactly, you typically half work scale. at quarter scale. I work in I work in quarter, third, and half. Okay. And the half are the nicest because if I do it exactly half, and I know it's really accurate, they can actually scan right off of that scale model, and double the data, and and uh, and then surface right off of that part. Hmm. And I've had that you know done on a couple of different chairs where it was uh, exact to the scale model. And, and it came out really nice. Hmm. That doesn't quite really translate amazing. to like a laptop, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a tiny laptop. This here. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I have lots of small chairs. You know, yeah, yeah. When my daughter was young, she was always eyeballing up her, her dolls. Yeah, that's funny. So, yeah. I didn't quite get what I did. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, anyway, but it but it's it's very rewarding to, to you know to see it translate. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine full scale. Yeah, that's always fun. That's the fun part of design. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so uh, yeah. what what kind of it uh, you know in terms of um, you know I think there's a lot changing obviously in the world and in our industry. What for students, you know, let's say your kids right now or people that are graduating, what g general advice do you give them? Obviously, knowing that, okay, there's lots of things that are changing. Yeah, you know, I it's it's interesting because do you want to do you want to narrow in and have a niche? Niches are always really good in life and in business, especially. But then again, if you're outdated in that niche at some sure, point, right? Because of age or whatever, you know, that could be rough too. So then you have to stay somewhat versatile. And we always have students that say, you know, I'm not sure I want to go in the auto industry because once I go in the auto industry, I'm an I'm a transportation designer, you know, or I'm not sure I want to go into uh, footwear because once I do footwear, I'm afraid at a certain age, I'm you know, I might be washed up in footwear. So uh, it it isn't. It is important to have your, I think, your education uh, somewhat broad, so you can move around a little bit, mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, and then discover your niche as time goes on, too. Yeah, I would tell those students to look at some of the older designers out there that are making significant impacts and see where they started. Um, you know, our our senior vice president worked at Nike. Um, he wasn't where. He wasn't doing footwear. He yeah. was doing timing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he came into Dell. I mean, there's there's I mean, I went into industrial design because Dieter Rams was an architect, a trained architect. And that's what I studied in undergrad was architecture. So yeah, is that uh, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I kind of look at like, well, what is this guy doing? Same. same another reason why I went into industrial design was because the one of the lead designers at uh, Specialized Bicycles and I'm big into cycling uh, was 
uh, also trained in architecture. And so, and I just figured, well, if, if they can do it, I, I certainly can do it. It doesn't mean that I'm not qualified. I think it, it's, it's, uh, there's a mental, there's a mental element, I think, of that. Cause I've worked with people who have been through transportation design, um, who are, make excellent industrial designers and, and, and they, they're, you know, they do doing product. Yeah. Doing yeah. product design, do really good work. So I, I, I would, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing that so, they, the, the advantage that the, tra- the, you know, the things that always make me mad about the transportation guys is they can just draw so much better than everybody else. And that's always really <laughs> aggravating. Yeah. I, I know in our department, you know, they worked really hard in transportation, you know, the amount of work that they put out. And I've taught in that department too. It's, it's, it's a substantial amount of work that they do. It's a very competitive industry. And, it's also interesting today because the auto industry is taking a lot more product designers because the, the, the future vehicle is going to be much more about the interior. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Who, who knows, you know, and uh, as autonomous cars come, there might be advertisement all over the outside of the car. <laughs> so the interior, the interior is everything. That's so, true. And we've kind of we've kind of seen that too. You know, we're so here at our office, we're not transportation designers, but there's products that are like as you mentioned, are more and more less necessarily about the exterior styling, but more about the as a passenger or driver, what's your experience? Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of product specific design um, skill sets apply to that. So. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, your industry of what you do with equipment has certainly changed the office uh, furnishings industry right. because, you know, uh, uh, for some people, their their main computer is their phone. So so you may not even need a desk per se. Per se. You sure. may need a, a nice lounge chair. Right. So, uh, yeah. So the dynamic, uh, you're, you're changing our industry to some extent, too. Mm-hmm. So... So it's uh, so it, it will be an intermixing of of sorts because now equipment may actually be embedded more into cars too. Right. Uh, you know, those computers of sorts and the interface have very much integrated into a vehicle. So uh, so the crossover is really interesting. I think I think that dynamic will be. Uh, will be exciting. You know, when I in the late 70s, mid 70s when I was in college, the personal computer was the uh, really the revolution. And now with autonomy and uh, in where it's applied in the future will be the next revolution for for young uh, designers to look to. Right. Uh, so And I'm certain Dell will be part of that, you know. I think so. I think so. I hope so. Keep keep us relevant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyways, uh, yeah. Hey, I think uh, we're running up on 50 minutes, so I think... um, uh, we probably want to wrap it up yeah. a little bit. I think, you know, I really appreciate okay. you taking some time to talk to us. I mean, I'd love to talk more about education and just kind of like the future of education and and where, you know, where you think it's going to go and how it may change. Um, we touched on it a little bit. Um, 
And, and I, I certainly appreciate your, your, your input on that one. It's a different perspective than, than I think some other folks. So it, it's always good to, to, to talk to people that are in the middle of things. Yeah, I hope I hope that's uh you know that I've given some insight in yeah. that regard. That's great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks, well, anyway, General. It was lovely speaking with you. Y- yeah, you too, uh, Dan. And so, uh, so I hope to meet you both someday here too.